Boy, if we weren't such a somber bunch, I would have shouted during that. Thank you for those good songs. One philosopher quipped, it's easier to know man in general than to understand one man in particular. I was fully expecting to see a house full of women today, a deer widows, isn't that what they're called during deer season? The deer were really stirring uh, this morning, so we're glad to see you women. Men, I'm glad to see you as well. We're thinking today about a man, a woman, and a marriage. We're going to examine Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, and we're going to zoom in on creation. Creation by God of a man, of a woman, and of a marriage. You know, those songs this morning just reminded me, hopefully when we sing and worship, our eyes are lifted up and we remember God. It's so easy to live our lives and, and, and there's so much to do and so much to see and read and hear and listen to and think about that it's, it's really, uh, we're at risk of forgetting about God. And as we're coming back to the early chapters of Genesis in this series on foundations of the faith, we remember that it is all from God. God created this world we saw in Genesis chapter 1. He created man in Genesis chapter 1, it said male and female, he created them in his likeness and in his image. Something shifts in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4. Then we, we really go back and zoom in a little bit more on the creation of man and of woman. And I think in some ways as Genesis 2 zooms in, it helps us to zoom out. I was trying to take some pictures the other day, and I was just getting too close. Too close. To, I was, it was little bitty batteries for my garage remote, and I was wanting to buy some. So I was trying to take a picture of the number, and I was just too close. And everything kept blurring. And so I had to pull back and get a broader picture for it to really get the fine details. And I think that in our lives sometime, we're too close. We're so zoomed in maybe to our particular problem or our issue that we can't see the big picture. So again, we come to the book of Genesis and we see a man, a woman, and a marriage. And I think it's important that we try to know what is man, what is woman, what is a marriage in general before we come and try to get into the particularities of our own lives. Gosh, our culture is in confusion about these things and um, we struggle people are struggling but even if you're not confused about what is a man what is a woman what is marriage we still have struggles and it still is hard and we need to recognize that Genesis 2 we're going to look at verses 18 through 25 remembering though as we come to this passage that what we've seen before this is that God created this world. He created this garden called Eden to put that man, Adam, the first man, that he had breathed his own breath, the spirit of life into, and gave him life. And he put that man there to tend, to work, and to keep, to cultivate the garden that God had created. Now, this was not a prison, right? It wasn't a prison with, with uh, a gated community where... There was no choice, for God gave the man a choice. He said, you can eat of all of the trees that I've created, except this one. So God did put boundaries, 
and gave Adam, gave humanity a choice whether he and they and we would live within the boundaries that God has set. But let's pick up before the fall that we're going to look at, I believe, next week. Let's pick up here in this creation of a man, a woman, and a marriage. Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the sky and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, At last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. You know, as we come to this passage, at least as I did in preparation for this, the first thing I noticed was God's startling comment and a creative solution. God's startling comment and a creative solution. And the comment is it's not good for man to be alone. In the creation story, you know, back in Genesis chapter 1, the seven times repeated phrase, it is good. So as God creates these things, he says, man, it's good. That's good. That's good. And so it's over against that multiple repetition of it is good that now we hear God speak with this, it's not good. It's not good. So as he looks at Adam, this man, who is without his helpmeet, without a companion, he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And it's a bit startling. When we hear God say of his infant creation, if you will, that something's out of whack. Something is missing. But God doesn't just dwell on the problem he sets about to remedy the problem. You know, I was just thinking about that little side road. How often we focus on problems without offering much of a solution. We critique, but we don't get to work and do anything about it. But God sets to remedy the problem. It's not good for man to be alone. He needs a suitable helper, a companion in life and in this work. And so God now parades before Adam all of the different creatures, the animal kingdom, if you will, and says, Adam, look it over. And it's almost pregnant with a little bit of innuendo that, that, hey, is there a companion among the animals that might be suitable for you, Adam? And so the animals begin to come by and Adam names them. Whatever he called them, that was their name. But among the animals, there was no suitable companion. I'm sorry for those of you who love your little Fifi and Fido. They are a great companion, but they're not what God had in mind here. No horses, no cows, no goats, no dogs would be the suitable companion that God has in mind. And so, I want you to notice specifically what God says. He actually says it twice 
here what he has in mind for Adam. Now, this is not Adam's idea, by the way. This is God's idea. Notice what God is looking for for this man that he has created, a helper corresponding to him. A helper corresponding to him. It's found in verses 18 and 20. And we're going to come back to this phrase here in just a moment. But that's what he's looking for. And among the animal kingdom, there was no helper suitable for him. And so what does God do? He puts Adam under anesthesia. He puts him to sleep. And I couldn't help but chuckle about this just a little bit. Like, why didn't he leave Adam awake to be a part of the process? And don't watch this movie, but I thought back to my teenage years, a movie called Weird Science, where a group of boys used their computer to design the perfect mate, right? And I just thought about God going, Adam, I don't need your input on this, so you're out. He gives him some anesthesia. He puts him to sleep in order to create this suitable helper, this companion that he has in mind. And out of his side, it says from one of his ribs, that can be translated out of his side. And all kinds of people make all kinds of things about that, but I don't know. Came out of his side. God, God takes this piece. Maybe it's a rib. Maybe, you know, it's an organ, whatever it is. And he closes up, takes some of the flesh, but he closes up that wound. And from this, God built or fashioned. Different word than what happened with Adam. Adam was made out of the dust. But the woman is made by God, fashioned or built from this portion that has been taken out of Adam. The word built or fashioned. One writer said this word, this idea in Hebrew, hints at stability, durability, and exquisite beauty. That's what God is making here. This woman for the man. Not man's idea, but God's idea. God's design for humanity, folks. A man a woman and that's what it takes to make a marriage not only that but it takes a man and a woman to make a marriage and so God has made them both in different ways differently but there is a sameness two distinct sexes male and female purposefully beautifully wonderfully made fearfully and wonderfully made, made by God. And you know, preaching on this, I mean, my mind has just been going all over the place this week because there is so much that could be said. I could do a lot of shouting, stomping, and ranting and pushing back against, and certainly I think that, that uh, we need to think hard about these things. But the Bible just puts it right there. A man and a woman, the core components of a marriage. So let's think about those things a little more in depth this morning. First, when we think about a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a man, a woman, and a marriage, that one of the things that stands out to me is God has in mind in putting these two opposite sexes together, collaboration. God has in mind collaboration, co-laborers, if you will. No suitable helper helper was found for Adam. So the idea is that God has given Adam, the man, things to do. 
And he needs help. He needs help in the work, a companion in what God has given him to do. Now, actually, I think I preached on this. Maybe it was back in Mother's Day. I can't remember, so I'm not going to go over that ground again much. But to say a lot of ladies, you know, chafe a little bit when you hear the word helper. Am I right? Be honest. Huh? Helper? I ain't his helper. He's my helper. <laughs> right? I mean, there's a little bit of that. Don't, don't lie. You know it's there. We go, that's it. Because we, we hear that maybe as a little bit of a demeaning term. A wife as a helper. Pat on the head, right? We're struggling with that just a little bit. Well, that's the word, helper, azar. It's actually interesting. That noun right here is actually masculine, not feminine. Say what? Masculine, not fem feminine. The word azar most often in the Old Testament is actually used of God. It is the help that God only can give when a man is in trouble. And so God is the Azar. He is the help. And so one of the things I think as we're doing interpretation here, we should say this, that, that the woman is the help that God gives that he needs. It's God's idea. It is God's help for the man. So women, you don't have to get too upset. You're like, oh yeah, now that's better. I'm like, God has sent to help you, boy. Right? So it's a little better. It's a little better. We're hearing that. So don't chafe. Don't get too upset. But I think what we should think about is collaboration, working together. Working together in the garden to tend and to keep and to cultivate. Working together in the work of raising a family. God is going to give them this task just like he has to the other members of the animal kingdom to fill the earth. But they are to fill the earth and subdue it. Hey, listen, that involves making babies, having children, reproducing and again, we're, we're prone in our world today to want to separate marriage and sex from having babies. But, you know, it all goes together. And so here is this work, and they're going to do it together. Co-labor. It's read a really good article this week that dr drove some important ho points home that I think are worth thinking about also. As we think about marriage as collaboration. Marriage as a collaboration means that marriage is not a competition. When we first get married, I don't know about y'all, but I know for us, I told my wife I wasn't going to talk about us today. But, but you know, I mean, that's, that's the one marriage I've had. And so you just have to say, man, there was a little bit of when you come together and the two become one, there's a little bit about, you know, who, who's going to drive this ship? Who's going to steer this ship? And if we're not careful, it becomes me pitted against you. I'm going to be over you. You're, I'm going to be the one that says, I'm going to be the one that dictates where we live and what we eat and, 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 and uh, what flavor of laundry detergent, you know, and, and who's going to pick what we watch at 7 o'clock at night? Who's going to get the remote? And who's going to say how we spend our money and all of these things? Listen, because you know, if you're married, you know, or been married, you know, this is true. Sometimes it's a competition to see who can be in charge instead of saying, this isn't a competition, it's a co-labor. That we're in this together for a purpose. And we bring different perspectives that are needed. We have to work together in this thing. It's not about who can get their way all the time or even most of the time. The great phrase I saw in this article that I read applied to marriage. He says this, you know, everybody's, uh, everybody's wondering about pronouns these days, right? 
what pronouns to use. Here's, here's a little advice he gives about pronouns. He said, in marriage, we need less me and more we. Less me, singular, and more we, plural, we're in this thing together. And I thought that was great. None of y'all are writing that down. You should write that down. Less me, more we. And he quoted in this article some very interesting things. They did some studies and they showed that couples, married couples, that don't keep separate bank accounts, but they pool their money together, actually report a higher level of happiness in marriage. That's one of the frequent questions I get from uh, uh, newlyweds or folks that are engaged is, are we supposed to put our money together or do we keep my account and, and, and his account? And I said, no, it's y'all's account. And then you just keep your secret stash under the bed, right? <laughs> don't act like you don't have a slush fund, okay? But, but you know, I, and, 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 and sometimes we, we, you know, it's a little bit of a, a process to get there. But I know, you know, one of the things that helped, at least in our marriage, to, to, to develop this notion and this practice of co-laboring was we decided, you know, we need to put all this together and it's not you pay. Because so, the way it was working when I first got married was, you, Whitney, you pay all the bills out of your account and I'll have all the fun out of my account. I mean, that's a very good division, right? Here we go. I'm in trouble. All right. So let's get out of here. Collaboring. Here's another one. Less me, more we. In this study, they actually found, and I don't know how you measure this, right? But in marital fights, when a person avoids using the words I and you and focuses on we, what we did, what we need to do, actually, there was a marked decrease in blood pressure, anxiety, and angst among those who didn't say a lot of you, 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 me, but we. Actually, things were better. And I'm wondering, who's the person that wears the monitor for that study, right? And, and I know some of y'all are like, we, I don't, I've never had a marital fight. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Sure. We. C- collaboration co-laboring you know and again there is a division of duties and I know we're all going our separate ways our spouses I mean probably uh, maybe your spouse has a set of duties and job and you do and 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 you're busy and there's things that you know you're out doing independently and um, it's so easy to basically divide ourselves as a family as husband and wife into two camps two camps two careers, two things we're doing. And I think that's a very dangerous thing. Now, it's okay, I think, to have those things, but we really need to foster and promote this idea of we together as husband and wife. Though we may from eight to five or whatever, we have to go to different places. What we are doing here is we're building a life together. We're building a home. We share a vocation that is a calling together. We share life together. We're doing it together. One of the big mistakes that I think we make in life as, as a, a husband and wife is we don't have things that we do together. We don't have shared hobbies. We, we like totally different things, and so we're always going about our way. And again, some of that's natural, but I think it forces us to say, what are we doing together? 
Where are we making time? How are we viewing the next five years of our life? Is it you're doing this and I'm doing that? Or is it we are going down this road together? Collaboration is so important in a marriage. And so that's part of the reason God put the man and the woman together so that they could be co-laborers in the garden. The next thing that I think we have to say out of this as we're thinking about a suitable helper being found is that there's complementarity between a man and a woman. That's part of God's design. They're not the same. A man and a woman, complementarity. What the man was lacking, he needed a helper, a co-laborer that would be suitable suitable to fill in the gaps, to match him up. And it's interesting, that word there, suitable, and the way that it's translated. How many of y'all, if you got your Bible open, your your translation said a suitable helper. That's the translation, suitable. Okay, so there are some other ways that that can be translated. One of them, interestingly, if you do a word search on that is, a word study is, it can actually be translated opposite. A helper that is opposite of him. But the idea there is that there is a sameness of type and kind, right? She's human. She comes out of his flesh, but she's opposite. So where he is low, maybe she is high. Where he tends to be deficient, she is proficient. It's almost like a lock and key coming together. So where there is a void here, there is strength here. There is complementarity. Well, you know, and we struggle over the idea of, of roles in marriage and, and the church and Christians. We still, we're trying to, we try to get this right and figure out how it works and practice. And I think one of the big mistakes we have made in the church, and I think that's why there's so much in part confusion out in the world, is we have totally done away with the idea that there are different gender roles Different roles for husband and wife, man and woman. Again, many Christians have done this and we're scared to talk about this. And I think that's part of why there's so much gender confusion. It's because we begin to see it's all just a matter of some sort of uh, external anatomy or something like that, that there is no difference. But there is a difference here. There is a difference between men and women as, as God's design. Now, how many of you would say, yep, I am totally opposite of my spouse? In so many ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the rest of you lie. lie. So, so some of that, of course, is personality, right? And I don't know why. I don't know why. I think God sits up there and laughs, you know, about how, how we end up marrying someone that's just totally opposite of us in so many ways. And I say he laughs, not a devious laugh, but a, they need this. They need this person. So some of that, though, is personality. But some of it, folks, is gender differences. I, sh- I shouldn't do stuff like this, you know. But one of the, I mean, the world is asking this question. What is a man? What is a woman? So I go in the feed store the other day. And, and I'm going to check out. And these guys are all up here. And they're ho- hooting and hollering about, well, a man, they don't know a man from a woman. And all of this. And this guy, he's just going on about uh, what uh, people don't know what a woman is. And so I'm checking out. And he just keeps on. And I said, what is a woman? And he looked at me and he kind of reared up and he began to stutter and stammer and all of this. And, and, and he quoted a, a line from Kindergarten Cop, another movie from the uh, long ago. And I'm not going to uh, quote it for you here. But I said, is that really all there is? 
I'm not sure I'm welcome in that feed store anymore, by the way, but, but I, I wasn't. I mean, I was just saying, you know, it's easy for you to laugh at people when they talk about they don't know the difference in a man and a woman, but how would you define a woman? Well, and basically what it boiled down to, anatomical differences is about all he could say. But hey, it's way deeper than that. It's way deeper than that. Did you know male and female, every cell of their body contains a different set of chromosomes. XX, XY, right? You've learned that in biology. It's not just external expression. It's down to the very design that God made, down to every cell. And those cells and those chromosomes and genes, they're coding for proteins and for building of structures and organs and hormones. Different. Different. God designed the sexes differently. Complementarily. To go together. Where this one is high, that one is low. Where this one is oblivious, this one is sensitive. Where this one knows this, this one doesn't know that. Where there is strength over here, there is weakness over here. God puts us together that way. Anyway, a man and a woman, there is complementarity. That's a good word for you to have in your repertoire. We're not the same. We're not, we're equal in the sight of God, but the sexes are different. They're complementary. Meant to go together in the co-labor. The last thing I want to speak to you about is marriage as a covenant and a commitment to cling to one another. So it's a man, it's a woman, it's a marriage. The closing verses here show us, listen to me, an ancient, from the beginning, the dawning of humanity pattern for marriage. One man, one woman, Though the word marriage isn't actually used here, is it? In my translation, it doesn't actually say the word marriage. King Vidor wrote, marriage isn't a word, it's a sentence. Y'all with me? The word marriage isn't here. He said the word marriage isn't, or marriage isn't a word, it's a sentence. Hey, I'll add to that, it's a life sentence. In the best possible way. Obviously, the last verses of this are speaking about marriage and the marital union because it's talking about a man coming together with his wife, bonding together with her in this supernatural way. That's what it's talking about. Here's what Adam says. This one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now, a couple of ways we could think about that. One is that that was an idiom. That was something that began to be used. And, and as Moses writes this down, right, the, it's not flesh and blood for them, but it's an idea of kinship. This is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. We go together. We're together. We're in this thing, thick or thin, till death do us part. She's with me and I'm with her. Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. I think that's possible. But many believe this is actually Adam's statement of covenant before God to his wife. This is his marriage vow, if you will. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's his wedding vow. He's making a commitment to her. God, I see what you've done here. This is awesome. I'm in. I'm all in. Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. And then there is the little footnote there that becomes verses 24 and 5. 
So we're, we're getting this account of what God has done. And then it adds, for this reason, for coming together a man with his wife, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife and they shall become one flesh. They're going to cling together. And it's a beautiful thing. Before sin enters the picture and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Mm. Passion and permanence. A man shall cling to his wife. That's what one writer said. It speaks, clinging speaks of passion and permanence. Hey, not just permanence. It's possible to stay married and live in the same house together and all passion and love and co-laboring and speaking and friendship and soul care has gone out the window. It's not just permanence. It's passion and permanence. I will cling to her. And she to me. We're not just going to hang around together for a while until it gets hard. Passion and permanence. I want to encourage you to grow with your spouse. Age with them. Change with them. Love them. I wanted to close this with some excerpts out of Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Marriage. Because there are all kinds of caricatures about what marriage should be, and we have these lofty ideas, and, and some people are totally cynical, wrong-headed ideas about marriage, even among Christians. And I think this was a beautiful account that he tells about a man named Dr. John Barger, who gave this, his testimony before a group of Christian men. So I want to read some of this to you. I just thought it was really powerful and poignant. Barger says that he was basically this. He was a Christian, but he was a hard-nosed, iron-fisted, hateful husband and father. And basically his marriage was totally fractured. But he gives this testimony about how he went from that being a mean, overbearing tyrant of a husband and father to a man in a loving, sacrificial, I would say, Christ-like marriage and thriving in matrimony. Here's some of what he said. He said, Years of dominating my wife and children left them habitually resentful and fearful of me. I had alienated them. I had lost their love. Home was not a pleasant place to be for them or for me. Then a number of events changed things, including the stillborn delivery of one of their children. And in that, his wife had had a placental tear and she was hemorrhaging from complications and very near death. He says at two in the morning there in that stark, bright hospital delivery room, I held in my left hand my tiny, lifeless son and I stared in disbelief at his death. In this moment, he's thinking about all of his life and how he got to this point and about his wife laying there in that room and about his other children and about his lost children. And he said, I realized I had the power to make my family's lives worse by raging about my baby's death, raging about my wife's lack of love for me, or I could make their lives better by learning to love them properly. I had to choose. And he says the choice in that room was clear. As I cradled my lifeless infant, I chose God's grace and the arduous, undramatic, and discouraging path to be a good husband and father. So he goes on to tell how he brought this about 
with the help of God's grace. Some things that he had to put in place to transform his house and his marriage from one of ugliness to one of beauty. Here's what he said he did. I began holding my tongue. Hey, by the way, this might be a good place to start taking notes. I began holding my tongue. I started admitting my faults and apologizing. I quit defending myself when I felt I had been judged wrongly or harshly. I stopped focusing on my labor and my work and my sorrows. And I opened myself up to my wife. He said, I sought to know Susan and to help bear her sorrows. It took three years of patience, of listening and growing to regain my wife's trust. But he says, eventually my wife began to blossom. She began to bloom. Eventually her anger, her cynicism and hardness turned. And we're foolish if we think that we can go on for years and years doing the wrong things and hurting people and not loving people, especially those closest to us, and then one day think that it's all going to change without hard work. What he describes is the hard work and the path and the process that was his. And now listen to this. He said, but, but it changed. Things had turned. And then tragedy struck. Susan was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And the man said, again, I had a choice what to do with this. He said, I embrace this as the highest opportunity I would ever have to care for and to express my love for my wife in new ways. To show her in the midst of her cancer how much I loved her. And so he did that. And he walked through this cancer journey with his wife, which ended in her death. And what he said was, I look back on my marriage with bitter sweetness. Yes, with regret over all of my shortcomings, the wasted years and those kind of things. But he said that bitterness, that, that um, uh, regret is always encased or wrapped in the sweetness of the renewal of our marriage. That we did eventually find out what it meant to truly love and to find true, soul-deep companionship. And I thought that was just a beautiful and moving thing. Because we could come to Genesis chapter 2 as husband and wife, as man, woman, young boy, young girl, and we could idealize marriage, husband and wife. But the reality is all we have to do is look around and look within and we know that there is much brokenness in this world. If we're honest, we say we have failed. I have failed my spouse in many ways. You see, Genesis 3, where we're going to end up, we find out that sin enters and taints the world and messes everything up, even and especially our deepest relationships. But listen, as Christians, we know that Jesus came to change things, to show us our profound wrongdoing called sin, to forgive us of that and to give us hope that there can be a different path. And as Christians, we have to learn about the need for forgiveness. Not just our forgiveness before God, but our forgiveness of others and others 
forgiveness of us. We have to repent of sin. We have to tell our spouse, I have done wrong. I'm sorry. There are times we have to tell our kids, our little bitty kids, on our knees, I am sorry. I lost my temper. I did the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. Hey, folks, we can change. Situations can change. Are y'all with me? Amen. Things can change. Christians of all people should know the power of forgiveness and change because of what Christ has done for us. And then we need to learn to live that out. To live it out. And today I want to, if you'll indulge me, Mike's going to come. We're going to just enter into a time of invitation. I want to do something a little bit different. I want us to, if you're here today and you're married, whether your spouse is here with you or not, or maybe you're like Dr. Barger and maybe your spouse is gone. And this can just be a time of thanksgiving for the good that you experienced. Whatever it is, here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about, pray about, Rejoice in the goodness of God's creation of a man and of a woman and of this thing called marriage. And I think it's a great opportunity for you, if your spouse is here, to just put your arm around them, to join hands, to pray for one another and to pray for your marriage. Maybe you're here today and your spouse is not here. Pray for them. Pray for your marriage. Ask God what you need to change in your life. Here's what we do. We say, here's what's wrong in my marriage because of what they have done to me. You know what? You can't change them, but you can change you with God's help. By God's grace, you can change. You can be the agent of change. Men, you're supposed to lead out in that change. You may be bitter, upset, discouraged, despairing, disappointed, be the change agent. Ladies, you can do the same thing. You say, man, my husband, maybe he's far from God. He, he doesn't even speak. We don't have time together. You be the agent of change. Co-laborers. We both have to work at it for things to change. But God is good and he's gracious and he changes things. Would you stand with me today? And I'm going to open up the front. I'm going to ask you, if your spouse is here today, would you just grab them by the hand and come up to the front, come to this altar or maybe kneel where you're at and pray together that the Lord would renew your marriage today. All right, let's go. Grab a spouse by the hand. Grab your spouse, not just a spouse. Maybe you look around and, and uh, dear lady, you don't have a spouse that's living or you've never been married. Look around and find another lady to put your arm around to pray for them, to pray with them, to encourage them. Men, lead out. Grab hold of your wife. Tell her you love her. Pray with her. Pray for her. Young men, young women who have not yet even thought about marriage, or maybe you've thought about it, but you're not there. Would you pray to God to make you the man, to make you the woman that you need to be, and that he would guide you in that process 
if it should be his will. Would you pray? Everybody praying, everybody ministering in this time. together continuing in prayer maybe today you're here maybe it's your parents or maybe it's a brother or sister maybe it's your own children maybe their marriages are in trouble or maybe your children are not married it'd be a great time to pray for a future spouse if it be the Lord's will for them pray that God would preserve and guide and keep Let's just be praying for that in this time. Father, with gratitude to you for what you have made us to be. A man, a woman, a young man, a young woman. We celebrate in this place the differences the uniquenesses, the special nature of each of the sexes. And God, we thank you that you have designed us in such a way that we bring strengths to the table. We bring a needed perspective and unique ability to see things that others can't. Help us, Lord, not to disparage one another because they see things differently from us, especially our spouse, would help us to take these things into account, to listen, to love, to be patient, to honor one another. Father, I pray for the marriages of every husband and wife in our congregation and in this room, those who are not here today with us. Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen our resolve to persevere, to cling to one another with a great passion that mirrors the love of Christ. Help us to persevere in the struggles that we face. Maybe even someone is here this day ready to give up. Lord, help them hold the line to see the hope that can come with change, with your grace and with your help. God, help us to be Christians most of all, especially of all in our homes. Mirrors of the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus towards our spouses, towards our children, towards our parents, 
towards those that are flesh and blood, flesh and bone. God, strengthen us today. We're thankful. We're thankful for the good gift of marriage. And Lord, today, we're thankful also that everything is not a one-size-fits-all, that there are people that you have gifted and called to a life of singleness. And that in that, that there would be an embrace of living and walking with you in a closeness in an undistracted way that those who are married cannot see. Lord, use those who are single. Encourage those who are single to let them know that ultimately that marriage is just about this. It's about the love of God experienced in a tangible way. So help them to experience that from you, from church family, from friends, from other loved ones. Encourage us as we prepare to leave this place today and that you're good. That you have a plan and a future for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.